Hello, and thank you for listening to Shotgun Logic. I'm Shane Douglas Keene, and I am here with Beverly Lee and Stephanie Ellis, and we are happy to be joined by Ross Jeffrey, um, author of the brand new novella, Only the Stains Remain, just released from Cemetery Gates Media. Um, if you don't know Ross, this is your chance to unfuck that. We're here today, uh, Beverly Lee and Stephanie Ellis and myself talking to Ross Jeffrey, who um, pretty much just about any of you who know me probably are uh, followers of Ross's, readers of Ross's. Um, He kind of, uh, I hate to say, burst onto the scene because no author actually does that. Um, But to the perceptions of us, his readers, that was kind of the case. Suddenly there's uh, Juniper and Tome, um, and now the new one, which is sitting here on my fire somewhere, and I can't remember the name of it. Ross? Uh, Only the stains remain. Yes, only the stains remain. Thank you. Um, And anyway, yeah, so we're talking to Ross. Uh, Ross, uh, tell our readers, our readers, well, they are readers, I hope. Um, but uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Ross. I'm the uh, Bram Stoker-nominated author of Tome, uh, which was amazing. Uh, got the honour that, of that this year. Um, I live in Bristol, um, so I'm just around the corner from Gemma Amore, which is quite nice because we meet up for a drink every now and then. Um, and yeah, I'm, I've, I've written uh, Juniper, Tome, Tethered, um, Milk Kisses and Other Stories has just come out from Domain Publishing. Uh, and Only the Stains Remain comes out on the 20th of uh, July, so a couple of days' time. I don't know when people are listening to this, but it's a couple of days' time from when we're filming. Um, and that's from Cemetery Gates Media. Oh, yeah. I like Cemetery Gates. Um, Joe's a good guy. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, actually, he's, and he's, you know, of course I'm going to say that because he's the only person who's published me. In the entire world so far, as far as fiction goes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, congratulations on that. Congratulations on those, and uh, thank you for taking time to talk to us. Uh, I know you guys are all sweltering over there. Um, um, but uh, it's it's uh, sorry. I'm getting a, I'm I'm just getting up to speed with this whole. 1 p.m. in the afternoon thing versus 9 p.m. at night. <laughs> um, so, uh, sorry, are your books, your books all run somewhere in the, um, the uh, around 200 page or less. Is that correct? Um, Am I? Yeah, I, well, June, got, I think about 150 pages. Yeah, um, yeah. And then um, I've written a novella in Flash, uh, which is tethered, um, which is kind of like yeah, flash fiction pieces. It's very short, but it's about a father and son, and um, and each chapter is told from a different point of view. So one starts with the son, and then the father, and it shows them growing up, um, and yeah, it deals with toxic masculinity and, and lots of stuff. But it was quite a um, quite a personal story for me. Like it's lots of things that happened to me in my childhood but I've kind of fictionalized it a little bit and um and I, I'd kind of written it all 
and then I showed my wife who normally reads my stuff first and she said uh are you gonna show your dad this because he's not painted in the best of lights and I said uh I said uh no I was just gonna publish it she was like I think you need to send it to him <laughs> so I was like okay um so I I sent it to him and he read it and he he called me back and he, he normally only facetimes now um but he actually called me because he didn't want me to see him crying um and he he loved it he said it was it was fabulous and um but i don't know whether he got the fact that he was the dad in it but i don't know i'm just gonna leave it there for that one <laughs> yeah yeah that's probably for the best as long as he loved it <laughs> um but uh that's uh that's a tri tricky one my family doesn't read anything i write uh none of my family not spouses not siblings not, not anybody <laughs> pretty much uh um i'm the only person in my family strange enough to read the stuff i read and write the things i write <laughs> but uh so yeah i i don't like my family all that much and i talk about them a lot in my writing um yeah. but i have that buffer of knowing that uh not one of them will ever read a single word i've written about them unless somebody tells them first you know <laughs> So it takes a lot of courage, though, to write about to write about people in your life. You know, family. yeah, it was a it was a it was a real cathartic experience actually when I was writing it because like I was just reliving all these kind of not suppressed memories and things like that, but just kind of things that that kind of really shaped me as a as a young boy and a young man and kind of the things that I didn't want to kind of do for my children and it was kind of like. I think one of the lines I put in it is like, how do you survive your parents uh, and the, what hold they have on you and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. And like the themes of kind of toxic masculinity, because my, my father was a, he's a builder and um, like he's very kind of a man's a man and he doesn't cry and he does this and keeps everything locked up. And so the, the themes of toxic masculinity do pop up in quite a lot of my stuff just um, and kind of domestic violence and stuff like that, just because I, you know, I've kind of lived through it and kind of seen it, and um, they, but yeah, they've had big impact on me. So I kind of, and I know there's many out there that do still suffer from that stuff. So if I can kind of shed a little light on it, um, I'll try and do that. Um, which is actually a, um, kind of a, a passion project of mine, pointing out. Um, Beverly and I have talked about it some that. Um, it's kind of a, and this is purely opinion on my part, that um, men are raised to be largely insensitive characters by nature, you know, I mean, at least as far as nurture goes, um, you know, so you get a lot of that toxic masculinity in society that uh, I think if, if as uh, Beverly has said if boys are just allowed to be who they are whether that's a sensitive or alpha or whatever the hell they may be mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a lot less of that there's potential for a lot less of that toxicity you know yeah. I think it's changing now though um, when I was in the schools working with the teens they are more themselves they're very aware of differences and acceptances yes there's there's still some issues but 
there's none of this, oh, you've got to be like this all the time, or you've got to be like that. They're very accepting. And if they see someone who's different and that person is being picked on in some way, they're, they're there for them mm. a lot more. Not in all cases. It's not a perfect world, and I don't know whether it ever will be. But I think they have more of a sense of freedom to be themselves now, and I think that's a generational thing. I think any ideas of toxicity, things like that, is very much... Sort of, I'm going to say our generation, but you're younger than me. <laughs> but, you know, it's a generational thing that there's there's more pathways out of it now. There's more ways yeah. of growing up, more acceptance. I feel. But that but that can only be a really good thing, though, can't it? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and and I and I think young people nowadays they're they're so much more open. I I was having a, a chat on a supermarket in a supermarket checkout line with a, a young guy that was on the teller we were talking about writing and he was telling me he was going to be going to uni in the in the autumn and what he was going to be studying had a huge queue behind us but we we're having this really in-depth discussion about writing and drama and literature and then quite out of the blue he said I think it would be really good for me to do the drama part he said because I have mental health problems ah. no you didn't have to tell me that but I mean 20 years ago people just wouldn't admit to having anything like that yeah no hey, even even myself i just started the, the last two three years being open about that with myself my generation it was very much um when my doctors when i was six seven years old told my dad that i had add Look off and die, you know. <laughs> My son's not broken is essentially the, you know, the response from that generation, and so it was my upbringing too. But now, yeah, like you say, more and more people are um, refreshingly very, very open about themselves, whether it's something like that or their um, identity, you know. You know, it took me 57 years to tell anybody anything about myself because of that. But in this in this day and age, very, very, very open. And then there are people like Ross, too, who are um, airing that stuff out and, you know, showing that awareness that there are options to you know, the typical male stereotype. See, we don't avoid awkward silences just because we can see each other. It was only, it was only a very small awkward silence. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say, if there's an awkward silence on me, it's because Welsh internet is playing up this evening. <laughs> it keeps that's, throwing that's, me that's out. That's a great excuse. I keep coming in halfway through sentences and wondering what everyone's talking about, and I'm sat there quietly trying to work it out. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I have a, I have a question for Ross, mm -hmm. if I if I may butt in, Mr. Keane. Um, have you always written Ross, or is it something that you've come to fairly recently? Um, uh, I I have always loved stories. Um, I I absolutely hated reading at school um, because I I'm not very confident reading out loud. And uh, my, well, I've got better now, but when I was at school, I used to stammer quite a lot over my words and I had the horrible English teacher that 
um, when we'd read out loud and I'd start stammering over the words, she'd make me start the whole thing again. And like, oh. even if I got even if I got near the end and I stammered, she'd say, right, start at the beginning. And it just and it put me off kind of like reading. And then um, I've always struggled with spelling. Uh, like I, I, I think I was a little bit dyslexic, but it was never picked up. So kind of I just I've got really bad habits, but that's what editors are for. Um, <laughs> and uh, but um, but yeah, no, I've loved I love telling stories. I love like I used to love playing with my toys and just creating these like universes and worlds and just disappearing into it. But I always thought that kind of writing was like, like actually just writing was just beyond me um, because of my education and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I, I kind of went to university after school to study film um and then I had to do a lot of script writing and stuff like that so I kind of just jumped back into it and started writing I was writing lots of short stories um and yeah and short stories and scripts and then um but everything I was writing was was quite I just wanted to offend people <laughs> um I don't know whether that's because I was just young and just being ruthless yeah. but I just wanted to just offend people and kind of like just write the most macabre stuff and um and that went on for ages and then like I I became a Christian and I was kind of like thinking about like what I what I'd written and 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 um and I was like I'm just trying to offend people and I was like it's not it's not good uh so then I stopped writing for about seven years completely just stopped um and then uh my wife kind of spoke to me and she was like you know you should really start writing again and I and I kind of like just things start to fall into place and I was like okay yeah um and then I just I just started writing with the freedom of knowing that I didn't have to offend people uh and like I could just write for me and see where it went and um so then I kind of sent out my first first short story to kind of uh where was it um sorry this is quite Oh yeah, Thirteen Dark, uh, which is like an anthology of writers, um, run by kind of Joseph Sale, who's kind of now oh, my editor. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'd sent it out. I didn't know him that well before, and he came back to me straight away and said, "I love it. Can I publish it?" And I was just like, "Oh yeah, okay." And then, then I kind of realised that I could kind of do stuff, and people were interested in what I had to say, and um, and then I kind of yeah just got the bug really from there, and then I kind of I wrote Juniper um and uh it was the biggest thing I'd ever written <laughs> and I was I was petrified um and then again kind of sorry this is a really long-winded answer but yeah um <laughs> and then uh but with Juniper as well like I I sent it off to a, an independent publisher interested in it and I kind of like was like over the moon I couldn't believe it and then sent it off to them and they said okay we've got a writer like a professional writer who is going to kind of read it and um, give some feedback uh, as to if it's a viable project or something. And then uh, a couple of months passed and I got an email from the writer. I'm not going to name him because it's, it's uncouth and I won't bother. Um, but he, uh, he sent me back an email that was two pages long. Um, and this guy is a, is a lecturer for English modern language at university um and he absolutely tore it to shreds he just said this is rubbish uh you need to put it on the shelf 
um, go back to writing short stories because you're you're not good enough and just, just absolutely tore it apart. And then I, I was kind of just having these flashbacks of kind of my childhood and my English teacher. And I was just like, oh, actually, maybe I'm not good enough. And um, and and then to the independent publisher passed on it. And then I kind of just went back to some trusted friends and readers and just said, look, could you read this and just let me know what you think? Because I don't know what to do with it. I was about to just throw it all in and then they were like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So I was like, okay. So then I just went on, went ahead and still self-published it. Um, and then, yeah, and then since then, I've just kind of, every time I finish a project, I pick up the pen and just start writing the next one. Because um, I've got, I got so many ideas. From that seven-year hiatus where I didn't write anything, I just, I had loads of notebooks. I just jot down ideas. Um, so then I'm kind of, at the minute, I'm just kind of mining those from ideas that I had ages ago and just seeing what I can flesh out. Yeah, so so just just think if you if you ha hadn't taken any notice of the people that said it was good, it could be just lighter in a in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, and 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 that book, like I loved that book, and um, I loved writing it, and um, just how weird it is, and also just seeing different people get because there is a kind of I'm going to say there's a twist in it, but uh, it's not a spoiler. But um, I love seeing people that get the twist, the people that don't get the twist, but both like it. For what it oh, is and but yeah. like when someone, when someone do, gets the twist yeah, I'm how just did like, you do it <laughs> how did you actually sort of keep that I, I read it you know I've read Juniper and then you get to that twist and I thought how did you manage to maintain that all the way through keep that certain image in the reader's head yeah. so far into the book and then just change it and make it absolutely believable but then that sends you back to earlier scenes that make you cringe a little bit more yes, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's really funny because like I I do love doing a little switcheroo in stories and stuff and and that one just when I was at university I, I, we did like a short film and the short film was of a well, actually, I'll, I can't say that because it might ruin it for people. But anyway, there was a short film that I kind of took that we made that I took some of the inspiration from. Um, and uh, and yeah, I just love like myself as a reader, like if there's breadcrumbs like sprinkled throughout a story that when something happens, you can then just you have like flashbacks to bits previously. And you're like, oh, my goodness, like uh, kind of like when I first read Fight Club. Um, and that was before the film was made. Like when that happened in Fight Club, I was just like, "Oh my goodness, this is this is what fiction is about." Yeah, you, um, you, you want your reader to go, "Oh my God, why didn't I see this coming?" Yeah, and um, but it's quite funny because some people that don't get the the twist still have taken something from it. But like the ones that actually get it, I'm just like, "Yeah, you got it." <laughs> Well, once um, you get that twist you suddenly realize what those little breadcrumbs were and you're thinking yeah, yeah. why didn't I pick up on that and that was really really clever I, I really like that yeah I was quite conscious when I was writing it of, of the language I used um of describing when she's doing what she's doing um <laughs> so kind of not yeah not it's really hard to talk about that um <laughs> But yeah, when she's doing stuff, I used it was yeah just the choice of language that I was using and not give too much detail and then um, and yeah I just I just really love pulling the wool over people's eyes because lots of people that do get it then are just like oh my goodness like how did that happen? 
what did I just read? <laughs> Are there similar twists in the follow-ups to that? In the follow-ups to that, or not? Is it a bit uh, more straightforward? Not 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 as much um there are you know tome could i'd say have a twist uh it's not it's not as well hidden as as juniper um and then uh yeah only the stains remain is just absolutely brutal so there's nothing in there. <laughs> um and then yeah i've got another book hostage which is um a novel that I'm kind of sitting on at the minute. It's, it's got some interest, but that's kind of set in Paul Perro in Cornwall. Um, and that is a bit kind of, you don't really know what is happening and what's real and what's not. So that was quite interesting to write as well. Is, is, is that one finished then, Ross? Yeah, it's finished. Um, I I had some, opposite, when uh, Tome was up for the Stokers, um, some people reached out to read it and to see what it was about and then they kind of I can't really talk about it but they kind of contacted me and said what are you writing now and I told them and they said okay could we see it before anybody else does so I was like yeah okay I can send it to you um so they've seen it loved it um but they kind of had a couple of things for me to look at so I've looked at those sent it back so I'll see what see what happens next but that's a full novel um uh I'm, I'm really excited about that one like i loved writing it it kind of deals with a bit of folklore um uh sirens um grief uh it's, it's, yeah i loved writing it it was, it was absolutely lovely and i and i i spent holiday in cornwall in paul Perro as well so um like all the landscapes and everything is is as it is so if ever you've been there you'd, you'd know exactly what i'm talking about um and i yeah i just love using locations and and um kind of weather and all that kind of stuff in my books because it adds just an extra depth yeah. to it. it adds an extra layer doesn't it yeah all three of them in this crowd all three very good at that um, pulling the environment and making it an active player in the in the story that you're telling um which is always interesting to me when I, when I talk to authors like that, that to ask whether that's an intentional you know as you've already answered um whether it's intentional to do that some authors just kind of I've, I've asked authors do you do, do you intentionally make the setting a character and they're like i never thought of that and others <laughs> like oh yeah that's the first thing i think of you know so yeah i it, yeah it's the first thing i kind of think of so like with juniper it's like scorching heat and drought um and i kind of wanted it to like like the story itself is uncomfortable i wanted the kind of the weather formation to make the reader feel uncomfortable and lots of people have said like when they've read it they felt really hot and like needed a drink and um and then with tome uh it's just dark and you know one of my favorite films is uh, seven uh by david fincher and like in that film it rains the whole time and i just wanted that kind of vibe for for tome and that's i just made it rain the whole time and um and a kind of like a little exclusive for you is that the third book which i'm currently writing uh which well i say writing i'm planning the third book um but in that it's called the book's called scorched um i don't know if i can say that but it is uh and um <laughs> uh, it's uh snowing the whole the whole time is going to be snow um oh. which for what i have planned it works out quite well so um 
but yeah i just love i love environments and and like you can just do so much with it and it helps eat up some of those words that you might need <laughs> and it just it really does so like um thinking of um josh mallerman's goblin um, oh yeah it rains it rains the entire time and if it didn't it would the stories would still be effective but nowhere near as much so that 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 atmosphere sets the mood for every single novella in the book mm. adam neville's ritual is the same with all the, the forests yes. and rain and then i remember at ramsey campbell's i think it's the wise friend there was uh-huh. bits yeah. about the forest and things in there and i thought that's that's a character that's part of the book yeah. and it's what i do i like the landscape has it's as important as the people and it brings yes. it more immediately to the reader it takes them into that world i think i don't i think if you miss out elements of environments and things like that then you can't bring them in you can't engage them as much mm. but bringing that setting in making it a character it makes it more real it well, it, it, it grounds a story doesn't it it does because yeah. people understand whether they understand how intense rain makes them feel or intense heat mm. so you, you've got them there before you've even started yeah yeah, yeah. there was um uh kev harrison's um uh curfew Balance? i think it was oh, right. um it curfews a uh, sharp sharp shock and uh oh, one yeah and i was, I was yeah, reading I that I was reading it whilst it was absolutely pissing down outside and I was by my by my back door and in the book it's just raining and I, just, you just feel like you're just there and it's just uh, rain at the window and oh, it's just brilliant I love it um, and it's yeah it's, it really does too it makes the story memorable I mean coming from uh, I have a terrible memory I can't remember the specifics of what I read last month most of the time. Um, but uh, Steph mentioned Campbell. That's a prime example there. Um, I can pretty much, I've only read it once, but I can pretty much tell you everything that's ever happened in Hungry Moon um, by Campbell and most other Campbell novels for the, for the same reason, um, because the environment like hungry moon i can i can envision the moorlands and, and you know the pit and I mean, it's just he takes he makes it so integral to the story and it's always so the whole time even time it's so dark and gloomy and you know how you manage to inject that kind of mood that kind of almost emotion into the environment around um just really really sticks you know, and i would imagine other readers too mm. it just because because it kind of gives you it gives you for me at least it gives me mentally um it gives me mental images to latch to which i remember better than you know it gives me i guess and i'm rambling <laughs> No, I think I, 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 th- I think it's um, the sound quality is not great from from your end, train, So I think that's why we're we're intently listening. Uh, is that is that any better? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, it's frozen on mine. 
I had some issues with it the other night. I'll have to figure out what's going on with that. I, uh, but, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with right now. <laughs> so, so tell us a bit more about only the stains remain then, Ross. Where did, how, how did that one come mm -hmm. to pass? Oh, that one. Um, like you guys must know as well. Like I this year I've been writing a short story um every week uh, with a couple of other guys uh who I run Storgy magazine with and um so we give one title a week and then we each go away write a write a story about that title come back the following week read it to each other and then give another title and, and it's been amazing like I've got something like I don't know I've got a lot because I've, I've written a couple of stories each week so uh but I've got about like 48 stories in a, on my system and wow and um I've, yeah, so I've got enough. I've, I've started putting them into a collection, so hopefully at the end of the year I might have a, a little collection to come out as well. But um, one of the one of the story prompts was um, what was it called now? Uh, Duty paid, I think, was what my friend recommended the title, and then um, I started writing it, and it was about four thousand words, and. Um, and it, it's it's almost kind of the opening of, of the book, but um, it kind of there's there's a lot of flashbacks in this little piece, and and when I'd finished writing it, um, the the character just it was like he was haunting me, um, mm. and uh, it just wouldn't leave me alone, and I, like I'd finished it, and I didn't plan to write any more about it, but um, the character of Jude, uh, who's the main character in Only the Stains Remain, like he just persistently kept on haunting me like I couldn't think of anything else other than this this character and kind of what had happened to him to get him to this place where he was and um and then I just kind of was like okay well let me see what you're trying to tell me and then I just sat down with my notebook and just sketched out some ideas and um and then it just blossomed from there and um and I've kind of told it in a in a narrative so we have uh kyle and jude uh, brothers that uh their mother um dies of, of cancer and um she was their kind of almost like their gatekeeper from something that they didn't know existed and uh when she was removed um their uncles uh kind of move into the house uh with their drunk father who's uh gone into drinking to get over his grief um but has also become apathetic to the, the children and and as they let the uncles in the kind of abusive relationship starts happening uh with with the uncles and and uh, on the children and and it flits backwards and forwards um so yeah um jude is our kind of main protagonist and he's an adult at the beginning of the book and we journey back to parts of his childhood and and then we come back to him again as an adult as he's kind of trying to uh, rid himself of the stains that uh, these kind of beasts have caused on his life. Um, and yeah, again, like it, it deals with child abuse. And I was, I used to work for children and family services and stuff like that. So some of it is kind of what I've heard and, and know of from families. And, um, but like, I tried to deal with it as best I could. And, and I didn't want to shy away from any of the facts and um and i i have put a content warning on it just because i know that it's a trigger um but i also love the fact that 
whenever I write something, I write it for me. And, you know, I don't, I don't censor myself for what other people think. And if I'm happy with what I've written, then that's good enough. And, um, and if I just reach one person with a book that they love, then for me, that's kind of job well done. But like, um, Cemetery Gate sent out a few, uh, advanced copies. Um, and, uh, Leslie, who runs the Nerdy Narrative YouTube yeah. channel, yeah, she reviewed it, and she—I have to say, she almost brought me to tears. I did have a tear in my eye as she was kind of reviewing it, and um, she was talking about her experience of it, and it's a really powerful review. So if you go and check it out. But she was saying that it was the abuse was put across really well and considered, and like she felt validated because she had suffered some abuse herself from people and it was kind of similar and she said that she felt validated and she felt seen and that you know it is difficult but if you can stick with it the reward that you get at the end is 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 really powerful and um and yeah I just yeah that that for me was like 25 five-star reviews in one I was just like you can't yeah I wrote it thinking it was just going to be this story but for someone it's been really moving and touching and um I couldn't have yeah I couldn't have wished for more really well that, that, uh, that's all that's all we can hope for as writers isn't it is, is to reach yeah. people like that mm. I mean I, I I've read it and I loved it. it it it's brutal but I absolutely love the story and it's one of one of these books that you find yourself thinking about long after you've finished oh thank you I've read it and I've read Juniper and I, I will say the only thing to make, I found it very difficult. And I was trying to think, why did I sort of prefer Juniper to this one? I know they're totally different sort of subjects. And I think that it's this sense of isolation that you've mm. got in only the Stains Remain. Those boys are so isolated. There yeah. doesn't seem to be anybody else around there for them. And in my sort of working life, I used to work with, like you, there are kids who've been at the receiving end or you'd pick up on signs and you'd think, why isn't somebody in there helping? Yeah, <laughs> why yeah. don't they notice these cigarette burns up the arm? I know kids won't necessarily say something, but I know these days that friends or even people who spot these things will come along and say, oh, miss, so-and-so's got this. Mm. And you do little quiet investigations. But it's just that sheer sense of being in a bubble of abuse and no one else there to, to help mm. them. I found that very difficult. Yeah, it's um, I, because I said it in the 80s, um, kind of, it also kind of I feel Nick gets around yeah. all the kind of child protection stuff that we have now. So yeah, that was a reason for doing it then because you know people weren't that clued on to what was happening and you know I got beaten all the time by my parents so that yeah. didn't happen. That makes more sense to me now I was trying to get the time right because yeah. I thought you know I, I was trying to fit it in with what I know or yes people will still go under the radar yeah, so it think, was quite uh, difficult. Yeah the first line is uh in the summer of 82 I found out what uh, was a child um but also like um like my father, he was he was brought up um, in uh, uh, what was it? Uh, he was an orphan, so he's brought up in a children's home, but it was run by um, Catholic nuns. Mm. And some of the stuff that went on there, like, and you just think, like, 
there's no one there for them and they're just isolated yeah. and alone and this stuff is just allowed to happen and um and you know like i, I uh well read beards kind of reviewed it and um he kind of had some thoughts on it as well which i listened to the other day and um one of his things was uh like, i can't believe there's like almost kind of four bad guys in this and not one of them has an ounce of kind of remorse or or kind of thinks about kind of what they're doing um and it's, it's a great like i love the fact that he's discussing it and talking about it but actually with some of these abuse cases it's all in families and they don't talk about it and you know pass a child around like they're candy it's like come on um but yeah it's, it's strange though because i was nervous about publishing it and getting it out there but i i i it's it's one of the pieces i did the uh I, was I interviewed uh, Josh Malaman and he was talking about the um, the Joe Lansdale technique of editing and like just going back over what you've written the day before and um, and I, I I really stripped it back and I was I, I I went through it probably about five times and each time I went through it I took out certain bits which I thought I'd gone too far um, and, and my wife sometimes says like you go there and then you go there again to make sure you knock us out and she said sometimes you don't need that and i was like okay well i'll, I'll have a look um but yeah so there were bits that i removed because i felt that i was i was kind of showing instead of leaving mm. it up to the kind of reader and i believe now that what is there is i'm not showing anything it's kind of left to the reader to kind of make some of the assumptions that, that happen and i think that's that's more powerful as well when the reader kind of gets a little idea or a sound and then they've got to kind of come up with what it is that's happening yeah uh, but yeah i, I wasn't no, I, readers, I think readers uh kind of um they were they feel like trust them to do their own Sorry, Shane, I think you broke up there. I didn't hear you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my sound is I'm having some pretty um go ahead and talk, guys. <laughs> Working on it. You got questions, Steph? No, I was gonna say I picked up your short sharp shocks today. The milk kisses um yeah. one and read through that. And uh, I enjoy, I did, I enjoyed them all. And it's the, oh, the actual milk kisses one. That really got me. Um, yeah. How do you talk about stories without giving things away? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, uh, there's again, a lot I'll... that you can relate to in there as yeah. a frazzled mother, as somebody on their own trying to raise a child and all the dangers that could mm. ensue and the judgment of society on you for the job that you are doing or, or not doing but I, I did I liked all of those are you planning on doing any more sort of little collections like that or are you saving all those stories up for this collection at the end of well, the year I'm not too sure because I, I enjoyed working with um with Dean at um at Domain and um I've got I've got loads in my file folder but I think like my my collection uh which is going to be called Beautiful Atrocities um that's got about 15 or 16 stories in it um all ranging in none, none go over 5,000 words but um they're all kind of 
it's all different it doesn't have a theme it's just all my mm. musings of my brain just on the page um but there's kind of like body horror and loads of different tropes um none no like vampires and stuff i don't i don't do vampires um <laughs> but not that, not that i don't like what's your favorite sub yeah, genre then what sort of part of horror do you naturally gravitate to and which um, one could you never see yourself doing I could never see myself doing a vampire book um, because I think Let the Right One In is the best vampire book I've ever read. So I, oh, I love that one. I, I don't think I could add to that. Um, and kind of like, I don't know, I'm not big like movie monster, Matt, like werewolves don't really kind of interest me that much. Um, I, I'm more, I, I do love a creature feature. I have to say, like, they, something about it, I just like, I like James Herbert's The Rats is just mm. phenomenal, although it hasn't aged very well at all with the role of women. Um, no, it hasn't. No. Um, and, like, I read, like, um, what did I read? Uh, Josh Malaman's Pearl, uh, which was previously on this, The Day of the Pig. On this, The Day of the Pig. And that is just insane. Like, it is, oh, he proper goes full-blown horror on it and this pig i'll tell you this pig is gonna give me nightmares like it was very good um but yeah like I, i'd love creature features i just love how and like the rue by alan baxter and just it's something about nature just going crazy that i just love but um i also love kind of haunted houses and, and uh obviously beverly your house of little bones and uh michael clark's patience of a dead man series that series for me was I just loved everything about it. Like every single book I gave five stars, like Michael Clark's, it was just terrific. Like I couldn't fault it for what it gave me. Um, and yeah, I'm just trying to think like what else I love. Um, but also I just love like um, human horror. So like obviously with only the stains remain, like humans are monsters. And I just love having books that deal with that like Jack Ketchum who I only read recently because people were saying like, I write like him um like I read uh, The Girl Next Door and it, uh, yeah yeah like I, I got a few of his books uh, but like, when I was speaking to Josh Malaman he was just like you know you need to read that one first like you might as well just start with the best and then just go on from there um and I read it and I was I, yeah I I just yeah I just love people being bastards like just because it happens in life and they're the worst kind of monsters for me um, like, yeah i also like uh kind of um religious horror so i'm a big fan of the exorcist like that book is phenomenal um and uh yeah the follow-up legion was really good as well um but yeah like spiritual horror is really cool love that I just love everything. Like, just chuck it at me. <laughs> Cover me in it. Apart, but, apart from vampires and werewolves. Apart from vampires and werewolves. Uh, I, I, I do read you, them. I, I bet I you'll do them. one. <laughs> yeah. We'll remind you in a year's time. There, there are some, like, that sneak in, and I don't realise they are vampire books. Like, like um, Donny Goodman's uh, The Razor Blades in My Head. Like, I, I read that recently, and there's a book, there's a story in it called um, Blood Heist. Um which has a kind of it dips its toes briefly into the kind of vampiric and then it jumps straight back out which i really loved because it just added a little something to it 
Um, but yeah, like I, yeah, I don't know. Like I've I've read lots of vampire, like Villa May Mist's collection, like books. I've read hers and like all the classics and. Um, but yeah, for me, it's um, Linkwist's kind of "Let the Right One In" is just phenomenal. That's just I've, such a brilliant. Have you read any of his other work? I've yeah, I've read a few. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember them now. They're over on my bookshelf. Uh, but something about the dead was a good one. I can't remember what it's called. Um, oh, I've got it somewhere. But yeah, that that was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's a brilliant writer. I love him. Um, I just love everyone. I just wish I could read everything. <laughs> you do. Just, wish, just wish you had more time to read all the books. Yeah. <laughs> How many are waiting to be read at the moment then? Well, <laughs> that is a question. That is a question. I had a birthday a couple of days ago and I got like, I got a lot of books. <laughs> <It was> all <laughs> like, um, I'll, I'll show you my book thing. This is just my own private stack. That that uh, is a lot of books. So uh, Brian Keane's Urban Gothic, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino, because I was quite excited about seeing what he was like as a writer. Uh, Jack Ketchum Offspring, Amateurville Horror, uh, The Pale White by Chad Lutsky, uh, We Need to Do Something, Max Booth, uh, Wither by Sonora Taylor, uh, Priya Sharma, All the Fabulous Beasts, which I've read already, but I didn't have it in a book. Um, Cormac McCarthy, Out of Dark, Last House on Needleless Street, uh, The Best of Joe R. Lansdale, uh, Sinister Mix by Brian Bowyer, and then I got the new Stephen King to review. Um, but then I've also got like a massive pile here that I need, I need, to, I need to get through. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sitting here looking at the books surrounding me and going, yeah, I'll be a dead man before I crack the last one of these books. Yeah. <laughs> It was it, it was going well until kind of I started publishing books and then I just got loads of people sending like I love it like don't get me wrong I absolutely love reading books for blurbs and you know if people want it just send it to me because the amount of people that have shown me kindness and doing them for me like and I'm a nobody really so um, like I just love it like if people reach out if I've got time and it's not interfering with my other commitments I'm just like yeah send it to me and I'll get it done and um but yeah but there's there's so many I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting to uh sa cosby's razor blade tears oh, that, uh, that's yeah. everywhere at the moment isn't it <clears throat> yeah it's uh his blacktop wasteland just blew me away when i read that yeah. and then um that that is everywhere and then and then another writer i love is um donald ray pollock yeah uh, but I, i've read all of his work but like i'm going back through and so i've got uh, knock and stiff I'm going to read more um, just because I just love the man he's brilliant really nice guy as well um, but yeah I'm reading one by him right now I think it's him um, The Heavenly Table oh The Heavenly Table oh my goodness yeah it's a really really good one that book is probably the closest I believe in my personal opinion it's the closest book that is to perfection that I've ever read. I'm going to make a note of that. Oh, it's I'm so writing good. it down already. Yeah. Um, it's it's I'm just absolutely so beautiful. <laughs> Who was the author, sorry? Uh, Donald Ray Pollock. Right. 
Um, yeah, he wrote the first one. I've only read one other. It was um, the one they made a movie out of, uh, uh, Devil All the Time. time. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was that was a just a stunningly stunningly mm. emotional book. From a, I expected um, something more along the lines of a Daniel Woodrell type author, and um, you know he's uh, he's a rural poet if ever there was one. Yeah, his 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 work is beautiful, and like landscape, like we were talking before, landscapes and kind of weather, and but just just the way he writes characters is just incredible. Like Knock'em Stiff, his short story collection is is remarkable. Like, yeah, I can't fault the man. He's one of my favorites. Mine too. He was actually, as far as rural noir goes, which is one of my favorite uh, subgenres crime fiction he was the first I think um, mm. and, and he led me into guys like David Joey and um, as I the, Daniel Woodrell who I mentioned and just a ton of others Hank Early and, mm. um, who is also a killer uh, horror author under the name John Mantooth um, mm, okay. but, but yeah yeah I'm glad you brought him up is my sound any better you guys yeah yes. better Okay. Yeah, I had a lot. Every time I change sound devices, I have to change a setting on this damn thing. That's why I hate Microsoft. Um. <laughs> they'll throw in an update now for you. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. Well, by the end of the year, they'll throw Windows 11 at me, whether I want it or not. <laughs> Blue screen of doom. Yeah. yeah. But I'm trying to give it a shot because it's what everybody uses. Um, I got totally sidetracked on what we were talking about, though. I was so excited that somebody heard me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are, uh, Juniper and Tome, um, are, they're direct, Tome is, is it, do I have the order right? Tome is a direct sequel? Uh, the yeah, other Tome, way. Is, Tome is a prequel. So I, I wrote Juniper first. Um, I kind of cut my teeth with that one, and then, uh, and yeah, Tome is set kind of. I, in my head, it's about 17 years before Juniper. Uh, okay. Okay. And uh, then the third book is going to be set 17 years after Juniper. Okay. Um, so there is kind of like a, a rough timeline. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting kind of creating a little place. That you can kind of dip in and write stories for and i've only just realized writing the third starting to plan the third book how much planning is involved to make sure i get times right and ages right yeah. and all that stuff because i'm like someone will notice if a character is like two years younger than they should be and i was like oh come on um, um yeah people will notice the damnedest things too yeah, yeah. Right. I just did a collection and it's all in the same world. And I've got all these little villages and all these little pubs and I've just had to make sure that I've got the right landlord in the right pub in the right village. <laughs> it's like Cluedo. <laughs> it always gets me too when you have these um, long, drawn-out, shared universe um, projects going on where you've got a different author writing something and they somehow vaguely manage to maintain continuity between... 40 books or something, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, I tried to work on a project that had 20 writers on it and I couldn't, you know, 
I, I checked right out. <laughs> so. Did we did we lose me again? No, we can speak no. still here. We just okay. we we just we're just having the awkward silence. Yes. <laughs> So, 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 Ross, if you could rewrite any classic horror book, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. Question. Mm. What a question. Um, oh, my goodness. Um, what, and put my spin on it? Yeah. Well, we, uh, we, know it, we know it wouldn't be Dracula, so that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no Dracula. No the mummy. Um, uh, oh, that's a good question. Um it's going to be a long, awkward silence while I think of one. Um, I would probably go with um, I think it classifies as horror, but I would go with War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. Um, it does. And kind of bring it up to date, but also change the kind of not, not that it's silly, but like, you know, the ending with the you know, the aliens dying because of, what was it, bacteria or something like that? Yeah. Like, like, like they all got a cold. <laughs> yeah, they all got a cold, yeah. They all got a cold and all died. Um, but yeah, like I, I'd probably change the ending and bring it like up to date. Um, like I, I do like it when, because I've got another idea that's like a passion project of mine, but I've never, I've given it some thought, but not a lot. But like I, I want to retell um, the, uh, the book of exodus from the bible in modern day um and change the change it all up like and it wouldn't be kind of all vowels and this and all that like i'd be writing it as me but um mm. but also kind of looking into because all the plagues in the book of exodus were kind of um uh moses kind of defeating each of the gods that uh the egyptian sell like you know the god of the sun that's why it was dark and the god of the harvest which was this so then I was trying to think and, and I've been planning, like just jotting down notes, but trying to see what we kind of worship as gods today. Like, you know, is it social media? Is it looks? Mm. Is it, you know, having enough money? Is it this? Yeah. And is it that? And I think it'd be quite cool. And I, I might do it as a series of novellas or like little bits that all add up to a bigger story. But I haven't even thought about it yet. But, um, but yeah, it was a good question, Beverly. Good question. Some, somebody threw that one at me in a podcast and I was like, Ah. Yeah, was it was it Nikki? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Did she did not do that one with you? But yes, she did. Yeah. So that's a good question. Good enough question though to round table though. I want to hear everybody's answer to that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I said I I I, I said Dorian Gray. I kind of I kind of had a feeling. On yeah, that. I said I'd I'd love to make Dorian Gray a little bit more up to date or twist it um, so yeah it would be it would be that one for me lots of lots of potential with that story um, i think something by poe um mm. where the mask of the red death but i quite like that the idea of premature burial i'd yeah. probably do something with that one mm. <laughs> just because there's a graveyard next door it's just yeah you could research I hear them screaming at night. 
it, it helps you sleep. It them with the, um, what's it, the cryogenics and the whole freezing uh-huh. your body. Do mm. they still do that? Do people still pay to have their bodies frozen or their they, heads frozen? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. They do. It mentioned a lot, but not anymore. Uh, and I just I, wonder. Well, I think if, you've got, if you've got enough money, you can have anything like that. Yeah, um, the big the big buzz now in high tech, high tech or quack tech um, is um, basically storing your memories, mm. um, you know, which is a long been a science fiction trope. I'm sure everybody's seen some version of it. But yeah, it's the idea that you don't have to store the body, just the database. You know? Oh, that's a bit scary. Yeah, yeah. there's a good um there's a good uh, short story by um, uh, who's it? Matthew Baker, uh, Why Visit America. Mm. And um, in it, it's uh, it's really well written because as, as it was written, I was believing that I was reading something about um, someone, uh, they didn't feel comfortable in their own body. So I thought it was going to be like a transgender story. Mm. But actually, it was that he didn't feel comfortable in his own body because he wanted his uh memories and he wanted to live on uh as computer data oh so he had his whole computer like they went to this place or wherever it was and they uploaded his conscious and everything into a computer and then like it's, it's, it's really bizarre but it was that like it's so well written that you just can kind of believe that it's true and it's like oh. that that's probably where it's going <laughs> Um, uh, Alistair Reynolds did that too Mm. with uh, well actually a few of his novels but I think it was one called Chasm City was people uh, some certain people would opt to um, shed their physical lives and just live on in in data banks Um, and it was just really weird and horrifying to me yeah, I think it's um I think Philip K. Dick does it in Ubik as well, I think. I can't think it's that one. Um, I read yeah, I wrote a short story, something like that, and Max Booth actually rejected it. It was one of those that almost made it but never got through. And in it people can choose to have their be sort of uploaded to the system and live a sort of holographic life almost so they can go out and about. Oh, nice. But then there's this one woman, her daughter has of her grandchild so it's how they go back to trying to get a skin to live in and re-establish that contact so it's the, the different contact is a basic human need I mean that with the pandemic and everything people have suffered because they haven't been able to touch each other so that yes you can upload yourself but then you lose that part of you that makes you human the need mm. to touch somebody else mm. You're sweltering there. <laughs> um, I've got a light here as well. I don't know if that's given up heat. Oh, it's boiling. Oh, if uh, uh, if <laughs> you can still hear us, Ross, um, your the car noise won't bother me. If you want to open your window, man. Excellent. I'm I'm sitting right here on a busy street myself, and I would. Window is open. Oh. <laughs> yeah, breathe. <laughs> As much as you can. The, 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 trouble, the trouble is, it's still only just warm air outside, isn't it? So it's just letting yeah. in more warm air. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so 
like over there, I mean, I remember, I guess it was a lot longer ago than I'm thinking it was because I'm old and everything was a lot longer than I think it was. But I remember there being a killer, killer heat wave over there. 1976, was it? Yes. Yeah. I remember that. Okay, yeah, so I was like nine or ten or something. <laughs> I yeah, think that's I, the year I went I to senior around. school. <laughs> I think um, was it Lucy McKnight Hardy wrote a a book about that as well. I think it was uh, Walter Shall Refuse Them, which is kind of like a ghost, ghosty, witchy story. Um, but it was set in that kind of heat wave as well, uh, and it's set in Wales, I think, as well. But um, but yeah, it was uh, again like using heat and temperature and weather and stuff. It's just brilliant. Like, come on. Every, everybody has an extreme though as far as you know the thing that it's like um ronald malphy um writes a lot about cold and snow and you know those things like that and those stories really get to me because i hate being snowed in worse than anything in the world if i can't if i'm literally trapped because there's frozen white crap on the ground um that that horrifies me you know, because you're literally at at the mercy of nature at that point. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it's I think part of that is being a city kid. You know, I'm used to being able to walk out and eat downtown in five minutes on a train if I want to. You know, <laughs> you know, and then suddenly downtown is six hours away. You know, so yeah, that can you guys can come back to weather again and again and again, and I'll always find a horrifying scenario that I just can't live with. You know? Although, um, but, although a blizzard now sounds just about perfect. Yeah, it does. Everybody's so thinking naked snow angels. <laughs> um, you don't get a lot of snow over there, though. So. No, you you get more in Wales, I think, don't you, Staff? But you just moved there, but you, there is more snow in Wales. Yeah. yeah, I used to live here sort of three years ago, not this particular bit, and there was you'd get a bit of snow, but we were right on the coast. You'd have to go up the valley to get the snow, so you'd have a bit that was clear, then you go into the valleys and it would be, be there. I didn't mind it at all then, but I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> but growing up in Shropshire, that was snowy as well. It's just completely different. You'd have to stand in it up to your knees, waiting for the bus to go to school. You know, it's oh, like back, back in the day. <laughs> I remember that. It's so good. You know, it's, I think that's one of my favourite sketches, Monty Python. <laughs> we all try and outdo each other on how bad they had it. You know, uh, got up before I went to bed. Lived in a shoebox, something yeah, like that. Shoebox. <laughs> six miles, six miles uphill to school, both directions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was actually. I used to, when I lived in Shropshire, I'd have to walk about half a mile when it's primary school, half a mile to get the minibus to go five miles to the school. And when it was secondary school, it was a mile the other way to the bus to travel 10 miles to my senior school. And it was, it was difficult, yeah. Never saw anyone after school either because of where I lived. Living yeah. in a pub, not much fun. <laughs> I never saw anyone after school because I still didn't like people even back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
not really. I would, say. but uh, you know, being the being a writer, musician, pretty much all around nerd, even when I was eight years old, pretty much guaranteed the life of a loner in a city in a city school system you know because you're either a loner or you're someone who gets bullied a lot you know so you kind of make your choices huh you say as a musician though usually that sort of attracts people to you as a musician when you get older it attracts it attracts um the gender that you want to attract and then it also attracts a lot of jealousy from people who notice that and have no musical talent but the fact of the matter is, is when you're in your teens, you don't need musical talent, just a guitar. So, you know. <laughs> I'll tell my son that. He's got about 12 He's older now, though. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know how I, how it is in the UK, but over here, um, younger, younger, especially men as musicians, um, tend to get a lot of black from other men. It's just an ego thing. Well, yeah. I say my son's a musician. He's 20, oh God, I'm going to get this wrong. 23 now. Uh, <laughs> can you remember your 80s? I can't. But yeah, he's, he's never had an issue. If anything, the kids who play and develop that, they they were they were accepted they never really seemed to have issues with anyone i don't know whether it was because they had this sort of laid-back community and mm. it, was, it was just very accepting so yeah. i didn't see that for him was probably good yeah um, yeah it's kind of like my son's age <laughs> the age thing is always it's like but like if you any consolation my son is 38 years old so no. <laughs> it's all a matter of Yes, they were born, but I can't remember how old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I remember how old my son is because I was 18 when he was born. And I can extrapolate. Yeah, yeah. Easy enough. Yeah. If you were a baby when your babies were born, it's easier to remember how old your babies are because as you're getting ancient, you remember every single second that you've ticked off after a while. <laughs> At least the number. <laughs> Being a father, you know, at that young age. Is... Yeah. Um, it was bad ideas what it was. No no man should do that. <laughs> men, are, men are not responsible enough at 18 years old to be fathers. Um, even good ones. <laughs> uh, I say I generalize, though. This man was not responsible enough to be a good father at 18. <laughs> I was still playing, um, but he dis he disagrees. He thinks I was a good father, so I'll take it. You know, I conned him. <laughs> they realize that when they get older, I think yeah. they appreciate you. I hope they do. Um, I, I know I did a lot more with my dad. I my dad and I didn't talk until I was like forty, I think. You know, after we were best friends when I was a kid, and then I learned a lot about him through, uh, you know, you you learn a lot about parents through divorces, um, and we didn't talk for years and years and years just because he was that kind of uh, not an asshole, just disinterested, um, 
and I have no idea where I got onto the subject or why I'm talking about it. Let's get back to you, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to welcome to Shotgun Logic. <laughs> uh, I keep starting to call this Inkheist because we do that one too. Um, I was gonna say Kevin Witten has come up now on two podcasts in a row that I've. Um, he just came up a lot with our from our other guests on Ink Heist the other day. Um, he's a popular guy, but uh, he talks about he talks about your work. I think he, it was either him or Sadie Hartman who basically slapped me upside the head with your name. So do you have yeah, it? it's um, I as a as a kind of well newbie to it all. Um, kind of just just having people like like Well Red Beard and Sadie Hartman kind of recommending my stuff is almost kind of like dreamlike yeah. <laughs> because I, I couldn't even imagine like being in that kind of so soon being kind of just mentioned and stuff like that and like um, Kevin Well Red Beard kind of said um, he reviewed uh, only the Stain Germain the other day and like he's read all my work so far uh-huh. and it's just like it's mental right? and then Sadie's kind of just yeah massive cheerleader for everybody in horror yeah. and, and like she yeah. loves you Beverly and Steph and like it's just it's just incredible and like and also like with Stygian and Sky Media like they picked up like Juniper and Tome to kind of re- and the third book to like re-release them and um and I, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite early on in the days of independent press, but I don't, re, I don't usually see books that have been self-published get republished so soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I, I, I'm so grateful for kind of, yeah, what Sadie's done and Stygian and just anybody that's picked up my work. Really, I'm just blown do, away do, with do, it. Do, do you know when they're coming out yet, Ross from Stygian? Uh, no. Uh, Sadie mentioned that they're getting the covers done at the moment, like the cover artist is working on them, but they're ready to go. Like, um, there's nothing needs doing to them. I might give them a once over just for typos again and stuff, but I think they're quite safe. But, um, but I have no idea, and it's quite strange because I've had loads of people recently asking me because I had to stop it from mm. Amazon and. So lots of people have, and because both of the books are up for Splatterpunk Award as well this year, um, so quite a few of the judges or people who are reading them have asked where they've gone. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hang on, let me send you a copy. Um, but yeah, like I don't know, I've had loads of people since the Stokers asking for it, but I, you know, I just hope they stick around and wait for them to come out and then get them when they come out because they, they will, yeah. Uh, um, but from what they've said, like. What I, I can't really talk about it, but from what they've said about the covers, they're going to be amazing. <laughs> but I can't say anything else. Um, I'll get in trouble. I've probably, yes. I've probably already said too much already. We, 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 do, we, do, we don't want you to get into trouble. We'll, we'll just no. say you never mentioned it. It wasn't never you. Steph got me drunk and just yeah. couldn't stop myself. <laughs> he, did, he didn't tell us Mother Horror was in the mixer. We, we never would have got involved in it. No. <laughs> You don't want to get on her back side. Sadie's a good friend. She's also a really good enemy. So. <laughs> Just kidding, Sadie. Just in case you're listening, don't destroy me. 
<laughs> um, she is a hero in this industry, though, don't you guys think? I mean, yeah, she's just just amazing. I've I've known her for quite a while now, since about 2015, and she's just she's always had this absolute passion for horror, and it's just so fabulous to see how she's grown and and what she's doing for everybody in the industry, really. Um, and yeah. And once she put her mind to it, she became a major champion because it was kind of uh, five, six years ago. All of a sudden, there's this. I met her. We got invited to be judges for uh, now defunct Indie Award that uh, probably should have never happened um, after the fact. But uh, that's that's where I met her. I had never heard of her before, and not a lot of people had. And then easily just six months later all of a sudden she's the name in the horror industry you know and um and uh sadie's word of approval is gold um but there's a reason for that too and that is that um or at least from my point of view 99 percent of the stuff that she has recommended to me has been 100 percent aces you mm. know um uh, in fact all three of you sitting here now proverbial sitting you know, figuratively speaking rather um came to me via sadie first she's the first person i know for a fact to mention any one of you three to me so yeah she did she gets her job done she she earns her she earns her credit no <laughs> But uh, but that's the point too, Ross. Is that uh, you've got the people that are championing you are people who are who champion um, talent, real talent. You know. Thank you. So. Thank you. <laughs> uh, very British response. Thank you. Um, yes. But uh, but yeah, like she's she's amazing. Like you know, she read Tome and loved it and shouted about it and you know, load. I I, I you know. I'm probably where I am now because she shouted about it so much, but but she's just so lovely. Like she um, she reached out to me because she read only the stains remain, but had to did not finish it because it was too much for her. Mm. Um, but she also sent me a lovely message to say, by the way, it's it's really good, but I'm tapping out because I don't do this and I mm. can't, you know. And that's yeah. fine, and I you know fully appreciate it. But it was just lovely for her to reach out and say. You know, it's not about this, but it's about that. You know, I I tapped out of like go next door, and I'm gonna do the same here because I think it's going the same way. So, but yeah, she's and, and yeah, she's just got a finger on the pulse. And like as we said before, like Kevin, while we're a beard as well, like those two, and I think Brad Proctor as well. Like whenever they mention a book or someone like that, nine times out of ten, I'll probably buy the book that they're talking about, or even just follow that author and get to know him a bit before. Um, but I don't think she's ever steered me wrong, or, or Kevin, or anyone really. Like, it's just such a, a great asset for authors as well. And like, you know, like Beverly and Steph, like, you guys came to my attention through those channels as well. And it's like, mm. they do such a, a great job for indie authors, like YouTubers and all that kind of stuff. Because otherwise, it's just chucking stuff on Twitter and hoping someone. Yeah. Gets... <laughs> it's just like, yes. come on. Uh, you need that word of mouth. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of channels really for indies, are, are there out there? It's a very uh, narrow marketing field. It is, and it's a, 
as far as reviewers go, and people like uh, Kevin and Sadie, and sorry, Kevin, well read beard. Um, those those people are. Um, I was a reviewer for seven, eight years, I think. Um, and I do it now on a more of a volunteer basis, but uh, they work their asses off for zero dollars just out mm. of, just because they're passionate about you guys. Yeah. No. Um, I guess I'm a writer sort of too, but you guys. Um. <laughs> all right, all writers are readers, so we're the same as well. We love what other yeah. people yeah. Um, right. write. Although when right. I, when I do my reviews, I write. I write it as a reader rather than a professional reviewer. Um, I look at some reviews and I think, oh, they've gone into detail and there's my little short one. I can't, that's not me. I'm not a, a reviewer. That's not where I am. I'm a reader. So hopefully I can give a, a decent response to the writer, but it's me as a reader. I love your books anyway. <laughs> um, that's And that's perfectly, I mean, I, for me personally, if someone says this is really good, four stars, that's a fucking fantastic review, in my opinion. You know, um, I write extensive reviews, but I learned to do that because people have paid me to do that early on, um, and you just and I and the, plus I really like myself, so the longer <laughs> I can go on. <laughs> Yeah, no, re reviewing is an art form in itself. And like, I've, I've reviewed for kind of Storgy magazine now for about six years. And like, it, I, it, I did struggle originally kind of trying to make them short because <laughs> I was like used to writing like uh, 4,000 word like review of stuff. And I used to go into quite a lot of detail. And then now I've kind of, because my time is quite precious with lots of other things and, you know, being a dad and doing all this other stuff and writing and like, it's normally about a thousand words is what I do, but. You know, and then and then for some stupid reason in, in lockdown, I decided to kind of set up a YouTube channel and didn't realize how much actual effort that takes um, at kind of, yeah, just doing a video review and a, a wrap up. And then I and then I thought I'd chuck in author interviews as well. And it's just yeah, turned it gets, into a bit of a beast. It gets busy, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was doing ink ice full time and thought, well, I'll start another one. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> And this was after taking six, six weeks off because I was too overwhelmed with the first one I'm running. <laughs> yeah. so, so now I've got two of them, but uh, I figure eventually I'll get good at it. Um, so uh, what's next in your uh, any big news that you can talk about without getting murdered? <laughs> wow, big news. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I can actually talk about anything. Um, <laughs> Hostage, the new novel. Right. Uh, I don't know when it is coming out. Um, I think it's brilliant. Um, it is different than anything else I've written. Um, deals a lot with grief. Um, I, I'm just excited about it. And there is I, also, I can tell you, I did send it off to. Um, uh, tour Nightfire for their submission window. Oh, nice. um, but I think I checked the other day, I'm still like number 87 in the queue or whatever, so I don't know what, how long that takes. But, um, nine, it took nine, nine, nine months to get this. Yeah. Two um, in the queue for six months. Oh, I was number three at the start, so there you go. 
Um, but yeah, so I've sent that in there, but that's not the place that are interested in it. But I, I told them I sent it there as well, just because that window only opens once every so often. It's like Narnia. Um, and uh, and yeah, so that's quite cool. Um, my yeah, only the Stain Germain comes out shortly, a couple of days, um, which I'm excited about. And you know, early reviews have been good and um we'll see how that goes um and then i am writing well i'm planning to start writing in well it's gonna be some holiday soon so probably end of august september i will start writing the third book in the juniper series um and yeah i i i don't know why i said when i started writing juniper that it would be a trilogy because <laughs> i now have the additional pressure of just making this one the final one and making it good like you know it's kind of like a, a curse almost but i wanted to go out and bang but i'm just kind of like i need to make sure i wrap it all up and just... the, the, the the last book in a trilogy is is really hard because not only have you got to deliver the goods but like you say you have to make sure that you tie up all those threads in a satisfactory way and that yeah. the reader's not going to be going, oh, but you left this one open. You never said what happened to her or to him. There's always going to be, uh, there's always going to be those readers who know your story better than you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I've got like, a, I'll, when I start writing that, I'll do what I did with Tony. I have like a big, massive pinball that goes up on my desk and it looks, it does look like a murder investigation because I have like, <laughs> like little like red ropes going between different things and like, um, so I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, and then, yeah, I should have, hopefully I'll have my collection out uh, probably in, I think I've organized it to come out in either end of November, beginning of December, um, which again, like it's just, yeah, 15 stories that just show kind of a real mix of what I can do. And um, everything's completely different, bonkers, bizarre, it's just yeah weird fiction no vampires um, no vampires <laughs> yeah so there's all that and then uh, i just got yeah i've got lots of other ideas i've got like a drawer full of like 18 ideas but it just depends which one kind of yeah, the surface. um but yeah there's, there's not much i can really else talk about without getting in trouble <laughs> <laughs> It's a weird thing. That was one of the hard, hardest things for me is my very first sale um, was an invite. And he bought three poems from me and then said, but don't tell anybody for a while. Um, <laughs> and a while ended up being like three months. It's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is like the hugest news of my entire life. And and you're not letting me tell anybody about it. You know, I could be yeah. dead by the time I can talk about it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I've also got um, two stories out for submission. One was, um, was it uh, Gabino's and Andy Cole's um, lost footage? Oh, the fa found footage. Found yeah. footage one. Um, and then the other one I've got out is um laurel hightower's one about body image i've forgotten what who dark, the dark dispatch is it da dark yeah, dispatch? yeah. Um, I didn't. so i've yeah i've kind of sent 
I sent two to that one. Um, one was a kind of reprint, so I'll see if they accept that one. But the other one I wrote is just brand new, but it's a bit, again heavily influenced by toxic masculinity. Um, but it's brutal, so I'm hoping it gets a home. If not, it's going to end up in my collection. Win-win, so either way. Yeah, that's how I feel about my poetry, too. I'm working on a collection, so if you don't publish it, I will. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote it for me anyway, so... <laughs> yeah. um, do you find... I'm going to wrap up here pretty quick, but I wanted to ask you this question. Um, we talked about this on Ink Heist the other night, which we need to try to get you over there sometime, too. Um, do you find as a podcaster slash YouTuber that that's kind of like a master class in writing every outing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, simple answer. <laughs> um, oh, really? <laughs> I, I had, uh, I've, I've interviewed some really cool people like all over the place. Um, but the one, that, the one that sticks in the memory was, was Josh Malaman. And mm. like normally our show's an hour long and, uh, and he came on and we we spoke for probably about 45 minutes before we started the show, then for two hours. And then when we finished, we then spoke for another hour afterwards. And it was just the, the knowledge that that man poured forth. It was just incredible. And, you know, there's so much I learned. Like even we had Gemma Amore on and she was talking about kind of all these other bits and then just writing craft. And it's just amazing. Like these guys are people that I read and inspire me and like, you know, I'm a fan of them, and then them coming on and just, or even asking me to come on my show, I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> like, why wouldn't? Um, but yeah, it's it's brilliant, and I love asking those kind of probing questions about like their writing practices and how they do it, and um, like, if they have any advice and tips, and um, yeah, it, it's it's brilliant. It's, it is a masterclass in itself. Like every every single person, like I learn from, and you know, I. I I read so much and I read, you know, everything. Like, I don't just stick in horror. I, I read all over the place. And, and uh, like, there's a guy called William R. Soldan um, who kind of writes Southern Lit. And like, he's phenomenal. Like, he reminds me of a, a young kind of um, Donald Ray Pollock and, like, and a bit, bit kind of like Charles Bukowski and stuff like that but like I learn from every single person like Beverly like I read your stuff and I'm just blown away by kind of like your lyricism you have and like it's just phenomenal and like you know Sonora Taylor and just everybody I'm just a fan of everyone but <laughs> I just love everybody um but yeah and I guess it's kind of like what everybody says you need to read a lot to write write well and um, um yeah i'm just a big fan of everyone i just i am too i uh, am too it's the best thing that could have happened to me because i had never even tried to publish anything before i started podcasting it was it had a lot to do with it mm. i think as well being in that platform where you can have somebody on who like you guys having me on to talk right now like you don't realize how much that means to a person until you're actually doing it and like we've had like some kind of you know had Joshua Marcella on who's only released kind of like he had released two books by then but he was he was really excited about being on and just us giving him a platform to kind of talk to other people is is amazing because it brings it to a whole new audience that people didn't realize and um 
and yeah i'm just grateful for the opportunity to, to come on here and talk to you guys but just having people interested in me and i do yeah it's a dream really uh, um and you're welcome on this one anytime um yeah, you, you know so, uh, so when you can talk about these projects that are in your head we'll have you back on absolutely when they let me but uh it's uh 22 30 your time so mm -hmm. i know at least i know at least two of you are gearing up to, to try to sleep in that heat um, uh, i'm awake all night these days <laughs> i can't i yeah i can't imagine i can't sleep in the heat at all um but uh yeah so i will uh, go ahead and wrap this up um happy to have you here thank you for being here ross and um steph bev i hope to see you again uh next week i will put the schedule out tomorrow i think after i get an answer from some of the people who i have requests out to okay okay and uh thank you for listening everybody this uh by the time this one airs you will also be able to listen to beverly lee and myself talking to Catherine McCarthy, whose Immortel is coming out soon. Um, we'll be out by the time you read this. Actually, is out. Yeah. God, I'm so confused. <laughs> too many books, too many books. If you haven't read that, read it. If you haven't read Ross Jeffrey, you really, really want to unfuck that. He's pretty brilliant. And if you've been listening, you know that he's also a very nice guy. So, you know, give him a follow, read his work. Um, be warned. It's not for the faint of heart, but it's wonderful. <laughs> Have a good night, Ross. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, you Bye. guys. Take care. Bye-bye.